Welcome to another episode of the Founder Fundamentals Podcast. My name is Rahul Kumar, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Joe Prococo, co-founder and CEO of Titan, the modern asset manager built from the ground up, currently manages 500 million for 25,000 clients. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Thanks for having me. So to get started, for those that may not know, what is Titan? Walk us through it. Great question. We're an investment firm, but for everyone. So if you think about you know, the typical hedge fund, private equity, or venture capital firm, usually they have anywhere between a million to $10 million minimum. They actively invest then the LP's capital into a variety of things. That's sort of the, like you see on TV or like you see in movies. Those sorts of vehicles are just categorically locked to unaccredited investors. So we said, how do we build firm, but instead of a million dollar minimum, it's a hundred dollars and anyone can get in. So that's Titan. And how did you actually go about that? So I guess for those that may not know, there have been changes from the SEC in the past around this concept of what actually an accredited investor is and what minimum investment size is. So how did you actually get around that? Yeah, we firmly operate within the law and within the SEC guideline. And when with the new age of mobile technology and investment advisors, you can start to apply new sorts of management models to core customers. And so something we're really excited is to start to see the world continue to innovate. And so not just taking this technology and applying it to banking, like apps like Chime, which are great, or insurance like Lemonade, but start to take a look at investment management, which remains stubbornly behind. We think of it as sort of the elephant in the room. My background, you went to UPenn where you got a degree in international studies, and then you started your career with Goldman, eventually moving to McKinsey, and then a hedge fund, after which you co-founded Titan. What was the catalyst behind starting Titan, and why did you pick the name Titan at the end of the day? Catalyst by starting Titan. It was a deeply personal problem. I went to Penn, and then living in New York is almost geographically synonymous with being a financial advisor to my friends back home in New Jersey. And I was in a pretty frustrating situation where they would ping me and they'd say, hey, Joe, what should I do with my money? And I would effectively say, like, go put it in an ETF or go buy some stocks in a brokerage app. And I knew that what I was doing, my day job, how my you know incredible friends from Penn and Wharton, what they were doing their day jobs, managing money for the wealthy, was just dramatically different. And... It was like really, at some point, I just like one, there was one question too much from my friends back home. And it just sort of was the tipping point. I said, screw this. I need to go build that, but for them. And so we think of it internally just as like the menu problem. We summarize Wall Street as like one big restaurant. If you have sub 10 million of net worth, you're seated in the front of the restaurant, you're given a vanilla menu, and then you're just told to eat, get out. As soon as you cross 10, 20 million of net worth, you get tapped on the shoulder by a waiter, you get brought to the kitchen and to the back. They give you a different menu and they say, here's the real menu. You can find XYZ private equity firm on page eight, a hedge fund on page 16. If you want venture capital, flip to the back. And I just said, we can build it back in the restaurant, but for the front. So in terms of your co-founder, Clayton, where'd you meet him? Was this during your time at Penn? How did, how did that story come about? I met Clay on the first day of school at Wharton. We were on the same management team. Like you get assigned, every freshman at Wharton has to take this like cornerstone class called Management 100, which surprisingly is probably one of the most important classes I've ever taken. And I think I still use to this day. 
we met and we were assigned to the same management project team in that class. And Titan is effectively just a larger, more formal institutionalized version of that management project team. In terms of actually starting the company with Clayton, when did that discussion happen? I guess, did culturally, did your visions align? Mission-wise, did your vision align? How did it actually come about from, you know, you two being in a class together or being the fund in school together to actually turning into a business? It was in my apartment. We were thinking through, you know, different ways we could have an impact. Clay and I both had, you know, regret minimization to quote the Bezos framework. Very, very complex way of just saying when I'm 60, well, I have regrets about what I did. And we said, you know, we think we've been very privileged in our careers. Like, what can we do to really, really make an impact? And I'm of the perspective that most great businesses start with questions or start with one question. Our question was, why does the status quo exist? That whole restaurant divide. Just a very simple question. Why? Like, why can't I put my money with Ray over at Bridgewater, Ray Dalio? Simple premise. From an intellectual standpoint, if you bring this to first principles, there are two reasons. Legal, Ray built a firm that says is accredited investors only, institutional investors only, which is totally fine. And secondly, the cost to service me is not worth it. Like why would Bridgewater, which is awesome, do something for me? I can only give dollars and thousands. And they want hundreds of millions from a single client. So we basically said, okay, like those are the two things we just need to conquer. And then voila, you sort of, from a first principle standpoint, have changed the entire back of the restaurant to orient the front. Yeah, it was an idea that was very Gajarian at the time. People were not a fan of it, to say the least. This conversation in your apartment happened years after you two graduated, though, correct? Because you had gone from Goldman to McKinsey to the hedge fund after. So this wasn't during school, per se. No, for sure. Both he and I worked at Goldman after Penn, and we both ended up in the investing world. And then it's um, one of the answers to that question, why does it exist? Why does that status quo exist? One of the flavors of the answer is once you're in the back of the restaurant, you enjoy how cushy the seats are. You love the elite feeling nature of it. Who gives a crap about the people in the front? That's sort of the attitude the vast majority of humans have that make it to the back. And I guess, you know, where Clay and I are both from humble beginnings. He's from outside of Chicago. I'm from a town with 40,000 people in New Jersey, bunch more farmland than human beings survive. And so none of that really mattered to us, the whole back of the restaurant. We sort of just remembered where we came from and thought we could make a really big impact. Did one of you have to convince each other to actually start the business or was there mutual energy just in terms of, hey, let's quit and do this thing? No, I wish I could tell you some like crazy story that there was like some big argument. One of us had to pound the table, hug it out. It was almost like, what is the opposite of that like poetic quote? Like the world will end not with a bang, but with a whimper. It was sort of like the inverse before how we started Titan, which was like, we sort of like to start chatting about it and we just looked at each other and said, let's do it. Like it just sort of like instinctively stuck. It was like, oh, like that's obvious. It was just like, like um, the whole, like, what do you believe that everyone else doesn't believe? It was just like an obvious truth about the world that we felt privileged to believe. 
One of the things that I like digging into is the work that's required to actually stand up these businesses, which I think is often overlooked. Walk us through how two guys actually went from quitting their jobs to starting an asset management tool, because there are definitely takeaways for the listeners and aspiring entrepreneurs in between those two events, and maybe even something for analysts in the future that may want to do initiating coverage on Titan. In terms of getting it up to speed, it's just one nonstop exercise, even to this day, of getting up unfamiliar learning curves. And so in the beginning, it's sort of just like a force of will to get something out there because there are probably over 200 tasks that you need to do, legal related to set up an entity, business related. So with us setting up a consumer technology enterprise, then there's the, you know, the regulatory and the compliance aspect, figuring out whatever it means to just stand your business up in the world. And so every time you reach a point where there's just, you think you're complete, there, you know, 20 unknown tasks arise. And it's the same muscle that we still use to this day. So, you know, the goal is to be an asset management platform and the operating system like Fidelity across asset classes. Right now, if you take a look at the Titan product, we're only in equities, which means I need to just go from point A, which is Titan is only in equities, to point B. Titan has crypto, venture, private equity, you name it. Could I detail for you the exact operating plans on a whiteboard? No, but I'm so confident we're going to get there because we've mastered the muscle of you figure it out, you bring it to life by force of will, and then hopefully your clients love it. And so... Yeah, it's like really important just to have that attitude and just like scaling up learning curves as fast as you can. I'll touch upon the scaling portion in a bit and where the future of Titan is, but I want to take a step back and really dig into. So you guys are at the hedge fund, you decide to quit and you actually need to build this platform now. So did either one of you have a coding background? How did this actually go about on a more granular basis? Because I think that's the part that aspiring entrepreneurs often overlook, where from a model perspective, it's like, okay, we want to open up this asset class to other people that are underserved as of right now. From an AUM perspective, from a market sizing perspective, from fundamentals perspective, it all makes sense. Yeah. The execution of it, which is the hardest part of actually building this thing, is where I want to get a little bit more color from you in terms of how do you actually build the business at the end of the day? Yeah, as you do anything, there are problems and you need to solve it. So if you're a consumer technology enterprise, probably makes sense to have a founding member that is damn good at technology. So Max is our CTO. We met him at a bar. Amazing. He's sort of like the third leg of the tripod, part of the founding team. And he architected all of Titan's front-end and back-end systems from scratch. So he single-handedly built, what's a good example? Like Stash Invest, their earliest product, or any sort of these... uh, like Wealthfront in a way, Max quasi built Wealthfront's business himself in a matter of like four months. And so standing up, it's like one big problem solving exercise. So there's a big legal component to Titan. So, okay, we need to go find really good legal representation. How do you do that? Okay, to probably be the word of mouth. So we need to go pick entrepreneurs to get legal representation. We need to have like a really good way of determining what features we launch for users. And so, okay, we need to have a structured, systematic cadence of how often we call users. We have to have some form of product process. No one has any idea how to do that. So we need to go call people who have done it before. Then we need to iterate. 
it's truly one nonstop game in solving problems that you probably have had no exposure solving before. And so it's almost the operating piece. If you have judgment, is like not rocket science. The thing that, if anything, the scarce commodity in the room is motivation. There are an infinite number of reasons to turn back. When you refer to Titan being built from the ground up, what do you mean by that? And why do you think there was a necessity to build the tool from the ground up? When you build it on modern technologies, it just unlocks new things. So like, uh, if you think about like a mutual fund, so let's take the, the opposite, the counterfactual. What if we didn't build it from the ground up? We would either have to launch our products via ETFs, or we'd have to launch our product via mutual funds. Both of those products inherently are black boxes. No one realizes it, but it's inherently a black box. You give your money to an ETF. ETF does not talk back. And it's like your expectation, almost like in a, you know, that uh, philosophical example of the caveman. I'm in the cave. Like, this is great. I'm having a blast. Like, just the whole idea of me saying an ETF should talk back to you. That's sort of like an out of the cave comment. It's like, what do you mean? Like, I just gave my money to the ETF. It's great. Like, no, like it's inherently a black box. If you were rich and you were in a hedge fund, you'd call up the manager and you'd say, you better talk back to me and explain why my money's down 10%. Imagine if you do that at scale, every financial product in the world, not just takes your money, but talks back. So for us, we need to build the entire system from scratch. Like the very means of what it means to be a financial product. And so in a way, you could say Titan's paradigm is that we're a manufacturer right now. We've manufactured the future of what it means to be a financial product. And we're just going to launch that same means of operating across a variety of different financial products. So Titan products talk back. We're going to do it small cap, large cap, value, venture, private equity. And then we're going to force the whole industry. No more ETFs, no more mutual funds. Everyone should have a direct-to-consumer mobile app where you, the manager, can talk back to all your clients using Instagram stories like tech. Very obvious, step out of the DeLorean 10 years from now type statement. For some reason, the world still thinks ETFs won't be rendered obsolete. So we're just going to build the operating system and then we'll welcome the world to it. As you're very well aware, the consumer finance and wealth management space has absolutely exploded over the past few years with the likes of Robinhood, Public, and Webull, amongst many others, grabbing daily headlines on the broker's side, and Betterment, Wealthsimple, and Wealthfront on the digital advisory side, of which Wealthfront and Betterment actually show up on your benchmarking scorecard in the app. How are you different at the end of the day, and are you going after a different demographic? Yeah, very simple. For uh, Modern investing has existed for a few decades. Investing has existed for four centuries. 1600s can first trade a share, Dutch East India Co. I'm of the belief world changes, humans do not. Ever since that moment in 1600s, there was a human behavior that came about. I want my capital at risk with the stories of the day. Back then, the stories of the day were whale hunting, spice trading, coffee trade. I will profit from these things. And then a variety of technologies came about, you know, ETFs, underlying, that's just fundamentally technology, or the ability to give your money to a vehicle and have them manage. And through all this tech innovation, there are three primary use cases for investing that remain unchanged. One, I know I need to do this whole thing called investing because it's important for my financial health. Make it go away. It's sort of a chore. Just do it. Passive products. Wonderful for that outcome. Two, get out of my way. 
I just want to do it myself. I know precisely the story of the day that I want to profit off of. Zoom or a different stock. Three, I want to give my money to an expert to do this whole investing thing for me. So you can sort of see each of the different firms that you've mentioned are either in bucket number one or bucket number two. Bucket number three, massive question mark. Who is going to be the modern player to occupy there? The current old school players, Fidelity, BlackRock, Tiro Price, State Street, Allianz, down the list, Blackstone, Bridgewater. And the interesting thing is almost from a business standpoint, if you zoom out, door number three is the biggest profit pool in the world by an order of magnitude. It is the most important of those behaviors. It drives, you know, it's the stuff you see on CNBC. It is has trillions of assets, but everyone right now is focused on door number one and door number two, at least entrepreneurs in the world, because they've never seen what exists in the back of the restaurant. And we just are hence fed up that door number three has yet to have a modern solution. So that's, that's a long-winded way of explaining where we sit. In terms of your actual customer base, is your target demographic different than those going after door one or door two, or is there overlap? Overlap. And you should think about it like investing is not like picking a sports team. Let's hope like one, you're a good sports fan. You have your local hometown team. You don't, you know, change it just because the Warriors have the big three. It's like, this is my team. This is the only thing I root for. In investing, people have different flavors. Some will say like, okay, like I want to put 60% of my money in a door number one like solution, but my aunt or uncle recommended me a stock that I want to buy specifically and I want to do something elite. And so it's more like how they size the different flavors. So in reality, I would hope most of these fintech platforms are aiming to have impact that's you know generationally sized. So we aim to have fidelity level impact. Tens of billions of Americans use Titan. My hope is I build a product where a high percentage of them then also allocate a high percentage of their wallet to Titan. But at a minimum, I think everyone could benefit from having a product like Titan in their pocket. The wealth tech market size by AUM is predicted to be seven trillion by 2024 with a CAGR of roughly 33%. As someone leading the company, given current and future competition by nature of the market size, how do you think about CAC over time, especially when you mentioned that there is probably overlap in the customer base? Yeah, great question. I'm on the market size piece. The biggest thing that's uh, unappreciated is how big of a market there is to go. Like if you think Robinhood probably has somewhere between 75 to 100 billion, maybe slightly less, slightly more. And when you think about the giants, like Fidelity, 4 trillion, BlackRock, 9 trillion, Vanguard, 7 trillion. So just do the math. Like even Robinhood, for all of its success, has very minimal penetration, ultimately, of the asset base of the millennial cohort. But interestingly, to your point, distribution is, you know, proving to be the biggest challenges that, you know, the entire industry has always faced, including the old guard. It's like, look, we have awesome products. How do we acquire set customers? And so for us, what's really exciting is it's like, okay, take this problem from first principles. What things in the world have solved distribution? 
And let's bring those, cross-pollinate those strategies into what it means to be an asset management business. And so for us, it's cool to see our operating system, like I mentioned before, back to that mental model, old financial product, one-way street, you give money to not talk back. Titan manufactured financial product talks back. So what that means is you bring the customer from outside the stadium and you give them courtside seats. You get engagement rates that are closer to a social network than to what a sleepy old asset management firm is. And you then have successfully ported in engagement loops that have only existed in true pure play consumer technology companies. So most of our growth in our distribution is largely organic. And so our CACs are exceptionally low. And that's sort of the holy grail because asset management businesses are much stronger than a lemonade stand. You have wage growth, market growth, so you just have embedded revenue drivers in your cohorts. The issue is acquiring those customers. So if you can bring the acquisition of a consumer technology company with the traits of an asset management business, you sort of are building a very big enterprise if you get it right. And so that's our hope. Given that some of your competitors have touted AI automation, how do you personally think about automation and AI as they pertain to your business and to Titan? Yeah, we think there could be a number of different uh, financial products that we offer that AI are very suited to handle. So you think about a different number of opportunities in the world, either algo-driven or quantitatively driven. There are already several really famous funds out there that already employ these strategies. We would love to be able to offer them on our platform too. And then on the other hand, there are several different strategies that will probably continue to be human-based. Like the hunt for alpha can only go so far with just pure AI. We think the combination of human and AI can just unlock new levels of alpha for our clients. And so for us, it's just like super exciting. Like our goal is just build the operating system. So anytime a new technology enables better and better alpha to be pursued, we bring it on board. You recently closed a $12.5 million Series A led by General Catalyst. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Walk us through your experience of raising capital in this space and topics on which the investors pressed you hard. Sure. The history of raising capital in this space. Believe it or not, the consumer fintech category, in particular around active investing, for lack of a better word, was not always this hot three years ago or so when we were first pitching Titan, the biggest point of questioning was, won't everyone just have their money in passive? And our response would be like, oh, but like if you look at Robinhood, it's really taken off. It's sort of a massive proof point that like people really want to dive in. I'd be like, oh, but like, that's just a thing. Like, you know, has a couple million users and it almost shocked us it was like, have you been a student of history? Like, have you been a student of your own behavior? Like, we're just in a passive up cycle right now. Like, there's going to be a massive wave of active innovation. And we got rejected 110 times in a row. Zero. Like, zero for 110. I've never gotten rejected so many times in my life. And so then, Clay and I, in Max, we took a look at the drawing board. And we were like, what are we missing? Like, are they wrong or are we wrong? And we couldn't definitively prove who is right or wrong. So we just like literally looked at our data, our own personal experience categories, 
And it was just pretty obvious. There are three doors, three massive opportunities of which the one we're pursuing is monstrous. And for some reason, they categorically thought that door would just close. And we vehemently disagreed. Even if you cut that market opportunity by 10, there could be dozens of billion dollar companies in the category. It was almost a blessing in disguise. Like no one believed in the opportunity. So no one would fund it. So we had to sort of like brute force bring our company to market. But in doing so, you have this massive barrier to entry. Like they're not going to back anything else. Tone has entirely shifted. Active flavor of the month. Everyone loves it. Highest viewed economics in the category. Massive opportunities. All these businesses hence have massive valuations. So right now, the tone in particular in meetings is less about idea risk and more about execution risk. So you think about any business in the world, okay, I believe your idea, tell me about how you're going to execute it. And so those are, and I love those conversations because that's like where you really get to roll up your sleeves and be like, awesome, here's our master plan. Here's how it's going to work. And then we can have an enlightened conversation of, if it's a consumer partner, they can say, oh, one of my portfolio companies does this for acquisition, you may want to test it. Or another person could say like, here's how you should think about crypto and operationalizing it. So yeah, it's fun. We think they're great. Like we think like there are a few venture capitalists in the space that we just love to pick their brain. From what I've seen on the app so far, your experience seems to over-index on education with Clayton's glowing face greeting you in a series of videos as soon as you open the application, supplemented by a research section as you scroll through the app. Was that intentional? Super intentional. Like just go back, the, the underlying product ethos we have is the user story. So like the jobs to be done framework. Right now, user is outside stadium, but they've given their money to inside the stadium. Goal is I want to hire you, not just to manage my money, but to make me feel confident about it. And so that emotional and cognitive variable is incredibly underserved. And so with our product, we hope to build at scale away an operating system, which has every financial product that sit on Titan's operating system, brings user to front row and courtside seats. And the cool thing about technology is going back to that Ray Dalio example, like Ray can only get on the phone with one person at once. Or maybe if you had a conference call tech, probably get on the phone with like 200 people at once before like it just says like capacity. Knowing LeBron James or Kendall Jenner can talk to an audience of 10 million people at once via Instagram Live, why don't we port that same technology into asset management? So hence, any financial product can just talk back to an infinite number of people. And so our product is very, very much designed with the operating system in mind. Like how will 10 trillion of assets be powered if we have a thousand financial products on Titan Fidelity gets the memo and like, okay, we need a mobile app. Let's put our products on Titan or Tiro Price. We already get inbounds from a few not to be named persons saying, can I stand up my product on Titan? Millennials will not give me money unless I know I have a mobile app that talks back. And so already building this in mind, like thousands of products, millennial sits down, recommendation algo, almost think like Amazon in nature. Like, okay, we know you need X based upon the information that we took it about you. Here's a suite of seven products from the Titan ecosystem. Person can sit down, oh, like I sort of like that crypto thing, even though you didn't recommend it for me, can I change it? Very simple, obvious master plan in our opinion. But uh, yeah, it's exciting. We feel like we have a lot of room to run. 
What is the greatest challenge that you face so far in running Titan? Right now, it's integrating A-plus rockstar humans on your team. Before I ran Titan, I'd always read about team being an exceptionally important variable. And you're always sort of like, oh, like, but I've been on teams. Like, why does that matter? There has to be something else. Like, that seems just like fluffy. It's crucial. When you think about why, because right now at this stage, the idea of leverage and just accelerating and pulling forward enterprise value and solving problems for your customers, most important thing in the room, how do you do it as quickly, as high velocity, as high output as possible? You ultimately have finite resources. And so hence, hiring an A plus versus an A minus just means your resources sort of just 10X in a way. Like that single human being can make better decisions, have much higher output. And then if you combine them all together, you just get synergistic effects. So for me, the most important job I have is building a championship team because then the leverage that Titan has as an enterprise just multiplies. And so the challenge to your question is, how do you convince people to leave, like these A plus rockstars are already employed, usually by great firms. And so our, so how do you convince people to leave Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google to come join your tribe? Ton of selling. You have to build an intrinsic environment that's worth joining. So for instance, our head of design just left Google to come to Titan. We have a few others in the pipeline that are, you know, interviewing at Titan from exciting places. And it's just, it keeps your bar so high for how you operate internally as a company or else you have no chance of getting these folks. And so it's the hardest problem in the room, but what do you have to run towards? Because I feel like from entrepreneurs I've spoken to, one of the variables I think people underappreciate is the variable that's in your control, which is the process by which you work. Like one needs to almost obsess about how your teams work together, Phil Jackson style, or else you're missing a massive opportunity for leverage. You can tell I was an athlete growing up. So I have a head to athletic approach to management, which is that if you figure out how to practice well, you can be the difference between Southampton versus Barcelona soccer team. I'm curious now on that point, as you start growing the company, you know, for you and Clayton and anyone else on really on the founding team, it always be your baby at the end of the day. You know, you'll put in all the effort required. And I mean that from the perspective of, you know, when you were starting it, you know, kind of your idea, you run with it. As you start growing the team, as the hierarchy starts growing, as you know, you start getting into the hundreds, if not, you know, thousands of employees at some point. How do you encourage besides equity for someone to not just think of their job at Titan as a paycheck, but rather, you know, this is also my business at the end of the day, besides that equity component, and I guess I'm asking that for more of a cultural component. What have you done inside Titan to really make the employees at Titan feel like this is something that they own? Yeah, one, words matter. It is not my idea. Our team, and I mean this quite literally, our team has opened my eyes to how much bigger and bigger Titan could be. That's very humbling to hear. No, I mean, it's intellectually, like it's spot on. Like our engineering team, so Joe, like, Okay, your flashlight has sort of shown the path, but I can supercharge that flashlight. Like, look, here's how we use AI to that recommendation algo that you mentioned courtside, like the, the possibilities are limitless. Like you're not even thinking about it as big as you should. So that's like an example where engineering really contributed to the Titan idea. But from a design standpoint, 
Danny, head of design, even right now, I'm saying, Joe, like we can pour in onboarding experiences from like meditation apps, like Headspace into asset management that just game changed the whole, I go from outside the stadium to courtside. And so to the root of your question, which is, I suppose it's like, how do you motivate folks to join the tribe? Step one is just having a mission worth joining. Like before you even consider having other people join, like, is this a mission worth gathering the best of the best to go tackle? If so, you're likely already in the eighth inning. It's just a matter of finding the right people. Then step two, to your point, we actually do have a very generous approach to equity. I'm solving for size of pie, not necessarily for my specific ownership. And when you have that attitude, you could not only reward your people for taking you know, a really big leap, but you could also then hence just align all incentives. Like we're not just here in words, like you will hopefully reap a really large chunk of the impact that you make. But then thirdly, it all just goes back to that org piece. Like in terms of how we design the org, how we make decisions, how we inspire the team, how we collect ideas, it's very decentralized in a way. Like we are one big tribe, each with different positions on the field. We're all one team. Joe has a position on the field. Others have, Ike has a position on the field. Asha has a position on the field. I am on the same playing field. I'm on the same grass, the same dirt. I just have a slightly different position on the field, one tribe. And in doing so in that way, it's almost like everything else is solved for. You have a United team just ready to rock. Do you remember who your first client was? Yeah, our founding team. And our the next thereafter were our parents and our siblings. And to this day, those human beings all still have Titan accounts. And it aligns everything, knowing that the majority of my sister's net worth is in a piece of mobile technology that our team has built. It like game changes how you think about whether I'm going to put confetti if you trade options, things like that. It just sort of changes the whole shabam. The roadmap for many companies in this space, by no surprise, is to offer access to various asset classes and services for this quote-unquote super app of financial products. We see that retirement accounts are already available through Titan. What is the future for Titan, and how do you think about your competitors offering other services, be that even active management down the line, considering what you had mentioned earlier? Love it. I wish more people in the world were working on this problem. I love seeing all the innovation that our peers are having, I deeply mean it. My perspective is that they're not thinking big enough. Like if you take a look at most of these consumer fintech products, everyone has the same path now. It's like you have a novel feature that uses to drive scale, you add a credit card, you add loans. And it's like, come on, like go further. There's so much more. If you just sat at a whiteboard, If you told them, sit at a whiteboard, you cannot do anything that your competitors have already done. And you have to just create a 12-month feature roadmap. Go grab a drink. Everyone get into a good place and just think, imagine, talk to your customers and do that roadmap. That's my hope. So become a full-fledged financial services platform. That's sort of like the easy stuff in a way as it's currently defined. 
Like we could launch credit card products if we want. We could launch loans. We could launch what you name it. It's like very easy to execute, high probability. We use the analogy, that's like running the ball. We could run that six yard play very easily. The reason we punt it is because it's almost a given. Like you can underwrite it in our unit economics. Execution risk is pretty minimal. The ability for our brand to offer it really high. So instead, what we're focusing on is throwing the ball. Like what are the 40 yard, 50 yard plays that we can really push the industry forward? And it all comes back to this just like deep, deep sense of responsibility that we have to carry the torch of investing. Like we think of like the, the analogy we use a lot is there's a boardroom, the millennial customers at the head of the table, and it's just chaos. There's a punk teenager with his feet up offering a product. There's sleepy old school giants trying to convince them to do that. And this millennial customer is just like confused. And then in walks Titan, everyone quiets and everyone sort of looks to us. Okay, like what's the answer? That's the like level of bar that we hope to have with our product. So yeah, eventually we'll check all the boxes on all those features that you've mentioned. Internally, what we're just running towards are like those elephant in the room problems that no one has yet to solve. Like how do I have a VC person in Latin America on behalf of folks in Kansas hunting for deals, things like that. Three pieces of advice for new entrepreneurs in this space. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Have humility. Entrepreneurship is a team sport. And have velocity. Everything that you think is a hypothesis that needs to be tested. Those three. You can do that and iterate on it, you're pretty good. In all this, I don't want to lose the human element, so let's get to know Joe. Your favorite restaurant in the city? Oh, uh, it was Little Prince on Prince Street, but it's been closed during the pandemic. So Emmett's Pizza, yeah. What can Joe be found doing on a Saturday morning? Playing guitar and then watching Man City. I'm a big fan of Pep Guardiola. Surprising fact about you that most people don't know. I studied abroad in Cuba. Very cool. Your favorite company right now in the financial technology arena besides Titan? I'm just going to say Pixar. Favorite company more broadly is Pixar. Why so? Pixar has taken an unsystematic field and made it systematic. Storytelling. Usually it's a hits-driven business like music. Pixar every year, every November, we will bless the world with a 95% plus rating on Rotten Tomato movie that you're just going to love. It's systematic. Don't ask questions. It's like the real life version of a Wonka factory. A business leader that inspires you. It's kind of corny to say, but Steve Jobs, he's just an ultimate visionary that wills his businesses into the world and just doesn't accept anything less than, you know, he has this quote, which is products are either insanely great or they suck. And I think often in the entrepreneur mentality, given you have to move fast, you forget that ultimately your end goal should be having insanely great products after the MVP phase. And so it's something I keep in mind. That was Joe Prococo, co-founder and co-CEO of Titan. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 